turn to John chapter 15, verse 26. I'm going to read 26 and 27. And because we covered up to 16.4, then I'm going to jump down and read another section. So watch close. But when the Helper comes, the name of the Holy Spirit, some make it Comforter, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He will testify, some translations say. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning, the beginning of his ministry, not from eternity. You jump down then. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and concerning righteousness and concerning judgment. Now, he names three things the Spirit will deal with them about, but he wants to clarify. When I say sin, I'm not talking about gambling. I'm not talking about the plethora of human sins. He goes to clarify. Watch. Because of sin... Because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I want us to look and examine closely the convicting work of the Spirit and ask ourselves, what is it? How is it done? But before we do that, I pick up verse 26 and 27, to say that as Christ is headed back to heaven and he will be sent back to heaven as a fraud, as an imposter, as a false messiah, uh, as uh, his works and his miracles were done by demonic power because the religious establishment so marked him. And they got him out of town and he'll go back to heaven at that time, only 11 men thought he was who he said he was. But the world voted against him. You're not God. You're an imposter. Get out of here. Matter of fact, we don't even feel bad about killing you. A liar and a criminal in the religious sphere ought to be killed. Jesus announces to the men, this is going to happen to me within 24 hours. But I have one who knows who I am, and he's the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to send him, and he will bear testimony, or he will be my witness in my absence for 2,000 years at least so far of who I really am. And joining forces with the Spirit will be my disciples. You men will join in this witness program 
And the Spirit will energize God's people for these 2,000 years to bear witness as to who Christ really is. And that's our job. That's our job. And as you read the book of Acts, you shall receive power to what? Jump a pew, talk in tongues, prophesy, do a miracle. You shall receive power to bear witness to who I am. You start in Jerusalem, you go to the uttermost parts, and read the book of Acts. It's, it's all the way bearing witness. This man, simple message. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. You by wicked hands have killed this man whom God refuses to let rot in a, a tomb. He said, you won't let him rot. He quotes Psalms 110. The skin worms did not even begin decomposition on the body of Christ. There was no smell to the tomb when they opened it up. As God promised Messiah, you will not rot. Your blood will not begin to decompose. You will go to a tomb, and you will walk out of it three days later. This one you by wicked hands have crucified, and this one is the one you will be judged by. So you are my witnesses, and that has never ended for 2,000 years. The Spirit energizes the church to bear witness about Christ. And is it not amazing, when you get in church life, you can be consumed with everything else but what we're supposed to be doing. Is your Christian life centered around, I give testimony, I bear witness to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. My first priority in life and in church life is not to gripe about the music, gripe about it's hot, it's cold, preaching too long, too short. When has Christ and who he is become the first love of your life? And don't ask me if I'm witnessing. Are you? Who do you tell? I cannot tell you how much religious talk you could get even out of this group right now. We'll talk about when the coming of Christ will happen. Now, maybe you want to discuss baptism. Maybe you want to discuss the, wait, wait, wait. After all of the, the church talk and all the stuff, what think you of Christ? Have you become his witness? Have you become one who bears testimony as to the true identity of the Lord Jesus Christ? He said, that's what the Holy Spirit's going to do, and he does it for a church that is controlled by him. The Holy Spirit never promotes himself. As some folks uh, want to talk about the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. They, all, they already tell me they're not controlled by the Spirit because they don't have the message down. When the Spirit comes, he will glorify me. His message will be me, not him. He's the invisible, behind-the-scenes worker in the Trinity whose job is to promote God the Son and all that he purchased for us in salvation. Now, let's look at this word. He will convict the world. What does it mean to convict the world? Uh, have you ever heard the term, he's an ex-convict? Well, what does that mean? Uh, found guilty, served his time. Is he talking about here, found guilty, serve your time? That is one of its meanings. But it can also, the same word, be translated to be convinced of something. Uh, after reading your report, I'm convinced of whatever your position might be. It's 
translate it many different ways. Reprove, rebuke, convince, convict. Let me uh, give you a handle, perhaps, on what the word, really, the idea, I think, that's here. Uh, it comes from a Greek lexicon that says it means to show someone his sin and to summon them to repentance, to expose, to expose us for our sin and to summon us to repent of that sin, to, to flee wherever we're found guilty. But the idea is to expose, to point out where we're wrong and to show us in these areas. Uh, if you use the Oxford English Dictionary, they translate this to unmask, uh, to show an error, to demonstrate where you're wrong. So the idea of the Spirit will come to point out to the world of lost mankind where we've been wrong in three areas, three areas that we're held liable before God. We're liable in the area of sin, we're liable in the area of righteousness, and we're liable in the area of judgment. Three things the Spirit convicts the world of. The sin, one sin, singular. He will convict of the righteousness, and he will convict of the judgment. Now, what does he mean by that? Uh, Jesus went on to clarify what he meant. And when you talk about he convicts of sin, notice what he said. Concerning sin, verse 9, because they do not believe in me. The only sin for which you'll never be forgiven is the refusal to believe in Christ. Jesus saved a murderer that was on the cross who did no more than say, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Sometimes I have people say, do you believe there's an unpardonable sin? Yes, I do. Refusal to believe in Jesus Christ. It's the only one I know of. What about suicide? I, I think it could be covered. Don't do it, but I think it could be covered. I think the cross work covers it. I don't think it's the unpardonable sin. What about adultery? Uh, what about uh, blasphemy? Uh, what about, you know, killing, murder, whatever your child abuse. We, and we can go after all the sins and all the garbage of the human race. And that's not what the Spirit convicts of. He doesn't convict of adultery. He doesn't convict of, of necessarily you got a dirty mouth. He said in Romans 3, their mouth is filled with the venom of asp. If you don't believe it, go hang out at a men's gym and see what comes out of their mouth. It's like the mouth of a snake. They're full of venom, bad, bad words, vulgarity. They never get their mind above the waist. They're dirty. And then usually some of them are 70 years old. You don't get cleaner as you get older. You're just as depraved at 70 as you were at 17. But he doesn't convict of that. 
It convicts of this one thing. The human race is held accountable that God sent his beloved son, heaven's best, God's dearest possession, and the world makes a choice that they would rather have their sin, have their choice. He said in John 3, they will not come into the light because their deeds are darkness and their deeds are evil, so they choose the darkness. And so it's this way. The human race is held responsible by the Spirit. What will you do with Jesus? And everybody is making it by, well, is he as good as the playmate of the month? You know, I'm into sex. All right? Are you willing to go to hell for it? Yeah, I think I will. I'm into cocaine. I'm into money. I'm into power. I'm into being cool. I mean, nobody's going to tell me how to live. I'm my own man. I'm my own God. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm not looking for someone to run my life. I like the way I'm making a big salary. I'm living in a nice neighborhood, got a pretty trophy wife, and I got some bratty kids, but I'm doing good. Say, so, you mean that's enough for you? That's enough. That'll satisfy. But, but, but you mean with the danger of being lost? Forget this being lost. The religious crowd made that up. The Spirit convicts, and he says, for you to say no to God's beloved Son, for you to say no to him who offers you eternal life, to say no to him who would die in your place, to say no to him who came meek and lonely, lowly and kind, to say no, to say, I love my sin more than I would ever love him. God says, you will sentence yourself to hell for such a choice. And I'm telling you, you see, men and women are not going to hell because they're ignorant. They're going to hell because they're choosing. I don't want what you got. Is this the best you've got to offer God? And you want me to leave this chick? You want me to leave being my own God? You, you, you know what? I, I don't have any needs. And let me say something. We can often talk about you nearly have to be from the ghetto to need God. Oh, forget that talk. You can be just as lost and be on the 50th story of B of A in San Francisco and be the vice president. You're still just as lost as somebody in the projects. You're, just in, you're more lost because you're in love and say, I have no felt needs. Why don't you give it to someone? That, give it. I'm so glad you're giving toys to these project kids because I don't have any needs. I'd come to God if I needed him, but I don't need him. You say, I've got what you need, baby. I've got it. And when you stand before God, he's going to let you bring everything you chose over him, and he's going to say, let me watch what I, I put a match to it. <gasps> so this doesn't transfer to eternity, only you. And you take none of it with you. If you don't believe this, study Egyptianology. Study the tombs of the Pharaoh. Study. I've been there. I've been to some of those pyramids. Most of them have been robbed. 
But the Pharaohs always loaded up. They would take their wife. They even would put monkeys in there, their pets, because you need them. And, of course, they were always buried in a, some kind of a boat because they're making a transfer journey to the next world, and you need all this stuff. And all that happened is they died without Christ, and all of the riches in there was stolen by grave thieves, and they stand before God. You don't know God. You're full of the religion of Egypt. He will convict you of one sin, and this is the sin. What is it that has kept you from seeing how wonderful, how majestic, how beautiful, how overwhelming Jesus is? Why didn't you see any attraction to him? What kept you from receiving Christ? And if the only answer is, I love my sin more than I could ever love him, God will say, hell will be absent of Christ, peace, joy, thirst. Hell is thirst. Hell is everything that Christ isn't. I want you to know the world needs this sentence. Your sin is you do not think Christ is worth coming to. For that, I will convict you. I will convict you also of righteousness because I go back to the Father. And what is that? Two ways. I'll convict you of your righteousness, which is filthy rags in my sight. Isaiah 64, he says, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And what that word means is uh, so graphic, we may not need to share it in a mixed audience. It, it is detestable what, what he likens their righteousness to. It'd be almost if you were comparing it to uh, the infestation of worms and the gangrene meat. It, it's, it's obnoxious. Your best to me is obnoxious. And, and you're trusting that, aren't you? I, I'm a nice person. I go evangelize somebody that really needs God because, you know, I, I'm a nice guy. I, I'm not homeless. I'm not a drunk. Uh, uh, I'm maybe faithful to my wife. Whatever. Good stuff, good stuff. But I, I don't need it because I, I, I'm trusting my own good life. I live a good life. I'm going to heaven based on me. Oh, you, you mean... The righteousness of Christ you don't need. No, I don't. Offer it to someone that does. Get some thug. Get some thief. Get some down. But not me. You're, you're talking to Mr. Upright. Matter of fact, I even made a donation to the American way. I just put three bucks in the Salvation Army can. I'm, doing, I'm a good man. I, I contribute. He will convict you. Of your need of a righteousness that is not your own. It is the righteousness that comes from Christ alone. He said to Israel, Israel, you have rejected Messiah because you have said in Romans 10:3 that you have chosen the righteousness that comes from doing the law. And you've said this to God. You can keep Christ, I'll keep the law, I'll keep Torah. I'll run my life according to Moses. And by George, I'm religious enough. I'm devout enough. I will trust my eternal salvation to the Torah. 
And all of Judaism is going to hell, trusting the law of Moses, until they turn to their rejected Messiah. Listen to what the self-righteous Jewish rabbi said. Turn Philippians, Philippians 3. Some of you, I never see crack a Bible. That's amazing, huh? Besides making me tick, I just wonder why you don't bring a Bible. Do you have at least hardware? I mean, pull out an iPad. See if I'm telling you the truth. Uh, Look at it here in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Why do you count all your benefits? Because, listen, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. You see, when you get over the sin of unbelief, you come to see the surpassing worth of one Jesus. One Jesus is worth more than a million worlds. One Jesus. I wish you loved him. I wish you would talk like you loved him. I wish you would actually become contagious, that you want to sing about Jesus. You want to talk about Jesus. You want to share Jesus. When did you get over falling in love with Christ? Have you fallen from your first love? I don't hear some of you ever talk about him. Is he old hat? Has he become the ugly wife? Are you stuck with him? Are you stuck with him? Or do you adore him? I'm going to tell you, I married my wife in her youth. And 50 years later of courtship and marriage, only us guys that's done it, She's gotten 10 times prettier because I know her through and through after 50 years. The body can waste away, but those of an incorruptible spirit get prettier every year. You can't buy a pure spirit. You can't buy a right spirit. And let me tell you, this Jesus, the ages, never get him ugly. He's as lovely as he ever was. It's us. We have fallen in love with this world that puts no value on him. When you love him, you will be transformed from glory to glory. He goes on to say, hear this, I, was, I came to see his worth. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now watch. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, Moses, Torah, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Hallelujah. The book of Romans. I am just, I have God's righteousness by faith alone, not by performance. As some of the brothers were praying before the service today, we were just talking to one another and we said, all of our righteousness is at the right hand of God. There's not a man in the room that's got enough righteousness to get to heaven unless Christ came and died. He is my righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30, he is redemption, he is sanctification, he is righteousness. One day, John Bunyan was living with conviction. John Bunyan, the famous writer of Pilgrim's Progress, he said he was walking one day, living with conviction. The Spirit was working on him working on him, but he wasn't saved yet, and he's trying to figure it all out, and he said one day he was walking, and he started walking through a wheat field in England, 
And it said, as he walked through that field, all of a sudden, Philippians 3.9, because he was a good English churchgoer, Church of England. He, he learned catechism. He, he, he knew the church year. All of a sudden, Philippians 3.9 rung down the quarters of, a, of his heart, and it rang this way, and be found in Christ having a righteousness not my own, but a righteousness that comes from God by faith alone. And he said, that day I believed. That day I was declared righteous. And from that day in that wheat field, I've never been the same. For I finally got a righteousness I could count on. It's the righteousness of God for a dirty sinner that simply believes. That's how you get to heaven. Sir, listen to me. You can never be good enough, religious enough, give enough money, or be baptized a hundred times won't get you to heaven. You must put your faith in Christ. He alone becomes your righteousness. It's the only way any of us sinners, any of us, start with the pastor. I'll nominate biggest sinner in the house. I'll take it any time. I don't mind because it will magnify the grace of God. Grace can get even me to heaven because he gave me a free righteousness. It's a gift righteousness received simply by saying, this beautiful Savior I want. God said, if you take him, you get his wardrobe. I'm going to just clothe you. I'm just going to throw a robe of righteousness on you because i got to dress you to go to heaven. You can't go up there in rags. It beats bought me 500, honey. Bought me 500 to rot. Moths love wool. And you get there, and you're dressed in the righteousness of Christ. He said in Revelation 19, when I saw the armies of heaven, they were riding back with Christ, and all the saints were riding with him, and they were dressed in white garments, which is the righteousness of the saints. They're dressed in righteousness, and they're equipped to live righteous. Oh, I wish you got what I'm saying. That's what it convicts us. We've got to show a man you're not good enough to go to heaven, and God's good enough to send you to hell because you wretched thing, you don't deserve it. I know you don't like that language, and it empties nice churches, but I get to say it here because I could talk to you like you're a sinner just like me. It's been so liberating to me as a pastor because, you know, when you're a pastor, you're to be the epitome of perfection. And the conversation, laugh, go ahead. My children are. I've never had to live with that pressure because when I landed this church, I had just come to understand the book of Romans and justification by faith. I thought, if I can just before God, why do I need to worry about men? He's the one I got to get past. Can you get past him? Because this righteousness will get you to heaven. Because the Jews could not imagine Christ saying, I'm going back to heaven. Why? The high priests were killed in the Holy of Holies if they had any sin. How could this fraud, how could this false Messiah, how could this liar say, I'm going back to heaven? No, no, no. Liars and frauds don't go into the throne room. Jesus said, I'm not a liar. I'm not a fraud. I am exactly who I told you was. I'm going back to my father's house. And unless you believe in me, you can never get the kind of righteousness that gets you to the father's house. Thirdly, he convicts of judgment that the God of this world, there is a ruler of this world, and his name is not uh, 
your most hated politician, whoever that is. His name is Satan. That's why our worst sin is to fall in love with the world because you've fallen in love with what Satan is the God of. 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, nor the things of the world, for he that hath the love of the world does not have love for the Father. For he that loves the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the vain pride of life, these things shall pass away, but he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. Judgment. Should sinners hear about judgment? When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he preached these three themes. You, by wicked hands, have killed the Prince of Glory. That's your sin. God has raised him up and seated him at his right hand. This is how righteous he is. And God is going to judge you for what you have done to his son. That day it says their hearts were pricked and they believed and 3,000 were added to the church in one day because they heard of their sin, they heard of his righteousness, and they heard of judgment. Jesus is saying, if you don't put trust in me and get my righteousness, the only thing left for you is divine judgment. And I'm going to judge you just like I judged Satan. At the cross, oh, he's still free. He still wanders the earth. He uh, uh, won't be cast down until the tribulation, according to Revelation 12. But right now, he's seeking people to devour like a roaring lion. He's still the prince of the air. But Revelation 20 says someday he'll be incarcerated in the lake of fire where he and his angels will be for eternity. And that's exactly where the world is headed unless they come to see the beauty in Jesus, the righteousness found in him, and escape the judgment of God. This is our message. I ask you, have you ever turned to Christ because you saw him as the greatest gift God could ever offer you? Have you ever come to see his beauty, his wonder, his majesty? Are you just stuck with him? Just stuck. Well, there's no other way to go to heaven. I, I don't want to go to hell. Yeah, what do you got to do? Except Jesus. Well, I'll do it because I don't want to go to hell. You know what? I, I don't think you go to heaven that way. I don't think God's going to let you go. I might be wrong. I hope I am, I think. Why would God want to let you into heaven if you've never come to see how wonderful Jesus is? You mean the Holy Spirit's not big enough to make, according to 2 Corinthians 4, he says what he does when the God of this age, he speaks to him after conviction. By the way, the question is, does everybody that's convicted get saved? The word is used in Matthew 18, and it's used this way, to show your brother his fault or reprove. And conviction does not always lead to conversion. Because there, the brother says, you go to him, and you show him his fault, this word for convict, and the man says, I don't accept it. You take two other brothers, show him his fault, I don't accept it. You take him to the church, I don't accept it. Finally, he's put out of the church because he refuses to see his fault, refuses to repent, refuses to get right. So he eventually winds up outside the church. This, this same word. And so you can so harden your heart 
that you can know who Jesus is and say, but I don't want him. I know I can never be good enough to go to heaven, but I'm sure not going to come to Jesus to get his righteousness. If I can't make it on my own, I don't want it. And three, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of hell. I hope it's a myth. But if I go there, I'll be with my buddies. This kind of joking and jesting. You can harden your heart and all the time say, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is a glorious Savior. They tell me. My mom, my dad, someone told me about it. But I just don't want him. I love my sin more than the thought of coming to him. And on one side, you would say God is a failure God if you consider 7 billion people in the world today, and I wonder how many born again among them there is. Say, God, you're doing a terrible job. Most folks don't want Jesus Christ. What do they want? They want their sin. They want the darkness. And God gives them what they want. And they spend eternity with the choice. Well, why did you see it? Why did you want it? Well, the Spirit not only convicted, but while that conviction was going on, according to Titus, he began a work of regenerating the heart, making you want him, making you want him. And he began to just keep drawing you. Everyone the Father draws come to him. He that is not drawn by the Father never. He began to draw you. You were stubborn. You pushed it off. You pushed it off. But he just kept wooing. He kept saying, I want you. I want you. He said, get out of here. Get out of here. I don't want. And and finally, someday, one day, finally, someone said, you you know, I know I need you, Jesus, but I'm just not ready now. No. You just keep on, and then you make a bigger mess. You get more miserable. You get where you can't sleep, and a lot of this stuff starts working. He says, why don't you leave me alone? And God whispers in your ear, I can do that, but I'd rather give you my son. And somewhere in that process, he has to give you even the faith and the desire to ever want him. And some miracle in the new birth, he finally overcomes our stubborn, resistant will. And finally we say, Jesus, you're what I've needed all the time. Jesus, I'm a fool. I'm stubborn. Why haven't I surrendered to you? You've never done me anything but good. You've never done anything. Your kindness keeps overwhelming me. I keep sinning. You keep loving I keep running, you keep chasing. I keep resisting, you keep wooing. Why don't you leave me alone? Because God says, because nobody would go to heaven if I wasn't a stubborn lover. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to woo you until you want me. I'm going to woo you till you want me. I'm going to woo you till you want me. Oh, oh, come on. Let's talk about human pride. That, that first girl, a guy asked her, uh, do I ask you to go steady? And you're thinking all the time, now, honey, if you say no, I can find just as good as you down the street. That's why the guy's afraid to ask because he said, you know, I'm cool too. Honey, will you go steady? No. Who do you think you are? You think you're hot, huh? 
I'm going to find me someone better. Because all that pride gets in there. And here's God saying, you've said no to me for five years. It's me again. It's me again. Why did you get the hint? I want If I have to receive Jesus, I just soon go to hell. And God says, you are going. And finally, it breaks through. And if you're here today and you've never fled to Christ, you're not trusting what denomination you grew up, you're not trusting you were baptized as an infant, that gets you in. Oh, baloney, it gets no one in. If he said that, we would have put a baptistry on the cross. We didn't put a baptistry, we put a man. It's Christ. Why don't you look to him? And you know what? He kept telling Israel, Israel, you've been snake bitten. You're dying in the wilderness. And they said, what, what is the serum? What can we do to cure this? He said, look to that pole with a snake on it. If you just look, God will heal you. And God's telling you, just look to my son, and I'll heal you. I'll save you. Or what about this stupid little program? I'm going to kill every firstborn animal and son in Egypt. Well, God, is there any cure? There's one cure. I want you to take a little lamb, and on the 11th day of Nisan, I want you to put it in a cage for three days. Check it for worms, ticks. Check it to see if its eyes run. I want to see if it's disease. For three days, I want you to inspect that animal. Three days. And then on the 14th of Nisan, I want you to slit the throat. I want the blood to flow out, and I want you to take some branches. It was hyssop. They're just kind of like desert branches. They wrap it together. Take that hyssop, dip it in that lamb's blood. I want you to just put it all over the door. Put it up there. And I can imagine these slaves saying, you've got to be kidding. This will save us from death. This saves from judgment. This is weird. Moses says, do it, or you will wail like all of Egypt. The wailing started in the evening, and the wailing went throughout Egypt. And pretty soon in Pharaoh's house, they're weeping because his boys died. People are not only weeping over sons dying, firstborn animals are dying. There's death and disease all over Egypt. And yet, there's this little band of people, probably two million, everyone that followed Moses' instruction. They said, you know what? You know what? Go get Junior. Is he in the house? Junior, get in here. Yes, Daddy. Whew, that was close. No, 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 no. All he looked for was the blood of the lamb, and he passed over. He, he just jumped over. And First Peter says, Christ, you were not bought with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb slain. And today, God is wanting to apply the blood of his son over the doorpost of your heart so that judgment will never touch you, and you will escape all the wrath coming on this world. Won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you come? Let me pray for those of you that are so righteous you've never come, or so guilty 
you don't think you can. It's Christ he's convicting you of. His righteousness he's showing you and judgment to flee. Father, there are some here today that don't have the blood of the lamb on their heart. They're, they're religious. They come to church for whatever reason that's between them and you. And I ask you, don't let anyone who hears us preach week after week perish. They can see a preacher. I've had people who have come, Lord, that said, we like to hear you preach, but they never got saved. They never, they never liked Christ. They never took him. But a lot of times they bragged on me, and yet they're perishing. If there's anyone here today that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and their sin is still rejecting him, not putting their trust in him, or they're still trusting their righteousness, not his, the gift of righteousness that he offers in the gospel. They probably either are ignoring judgment or are scared about the future, which they ought to be. Would you save them today? Would you give them the courage to admit, I do not know Jesus Christ, but the Spirit has convicted me to such a place. I want him today. Come into my heart. Forgive me. I might have been baptized a Catholic, baptized a Protestant, and I've trusted this tradition or that tradition, but I have never, never asked Jesus to become my Savior by simple faith. Would you work in their heart now, right where they are, whoever you are, I want you to have a conversation with the Lord. Say, am I still saying no to Christ, or have I received him? To as many as receive him, he gives the power to become the children of God if you just receive him by faith. How many of you here are saying, I'm guilty? I have no righteousness of my own. Where do I flee? Where do I go? You go to Christ. He offers to clothe you in his righteousness. Are you here? Are you here? Is there anyone here that the Spirit of God is talking to? And you say, I want Christ. I want him to become my Savior. Is there anyone? Raise your hand. Let me know. We'll pray for you. And you can come and see us after the service. I, some of the pastors, will be here. I see that hand. Anyone else? Is there anyone else that says, God's dealing with me? I've been trusting my tradition. I've been trusting it, but I'm not a believer. I'm not a Christian. I see other hands. Are you here? Raise your hand. We're going to remember to wait up here for you. We'll try to answer any questions. If we can help get you a Bible, we'll do that. Is there someone here who says, I'm not a Christian. I like to come to church. Maybe I grew up in the church, but I've never took Christ as my Savior. Who are you? Just raise your hand. That won't save you, but it's a beginning. It tells me God's dealing with your heart, and you want to make a start with Christ. Are you here? I'm looking for you. It's up to you. Several have done that. And I want some of you pastors to please stand with me up front so there'd be plenty of us to share Christ with these dear people. Let me pray again. Father, take us with your blessing today. Complete the work you've begun in these dear people. Give us men wisdom 
to help answer any questions that may still be on their heart. Bring us back tonight to rejoice in our Savior's birth. Rejoice in this marvelous group of singers, musicians, and tech people that offer this wonderful gift after long hours of preparation. I pray you'll bless it. May Christ come through. May Christ be shown. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.